light we find What makes us come alive A sacrifice of praise A city on a hill Surrender to your will Your glory on display Your glory on display Awesome in this place Jesus, you are awesome in this place Worthy to be praised Jesus, you are worthy
sing and worship the Lord together.
worship you, Lord. Amen. We're going to do something a little different. It's something that we did pre-COVID, and I'm excited to be able to do it again as a church. We're going to have a special time of prayer, and I'd like to invite our elders to come forward. Uh, we've asked them to kind of stand in front of the stairs. That way, if you come for, forward for prayer, you're not on camera, because we figured you'd want one to be on camera, right? So let me, read, let me just share a quick passage of scripture for you. Luke chapter 13, we read Jesus. He's teaching in the synagogue. He's, uh, it's a Sabbath day, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they're there like many other occasions. They're going to see what Jesus is going to do. Will he, will he heal on the Sabbath? Spoiler alert, he does. Listen to this, Luke chapter 13. Jesus was teaching in the, in the synagogue, and a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit, she had been bent double. That's LT. Your version might say she'd been bent over and could not stand up straight for 18 years. Then it says, when Jesus saw her, he called over to her and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Now the text goes on and it talks about the interaction between Jesus and, and those who would accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But when I look at this text, it makes me think about just us in this room. See, the truth of the matter is many of us are here today and while we're not bent over on the outside, maybe on the inside, we are. The fun thing about this text, which is different than a lot of miracles that Jesus does, is this woman didn't call out to Jesus. She was just present and he saw her where she was. If today you would say, yeah, I'm here, and I'm standing up on the outside, but on the inside I'm bent over, whether it's a, a relationship or something physical with your body that, that's not visible, whatever it is, those who stand before you today, they know this Jesus who sees you. They'll listen to your prayer requests, they'll lay their hands on you, and they'll pray in the name of Jesus, just like the Bible tells us to do. So as we sing this next song, I invite you to come. Would you come at this time as we sing?
Church, would you, would you agree with that? Lord, we turn our eyes to you. Father, today, gathered in this place, we've come to meet with you, to hear from you, to lift you up in our hearts. We've sung songs about who you are, your character and your nature and the hope that we have because of your son, Jesus Christ. Today, would you meet with us and speak to us? Would you strengthen? Would you empower? Would you correct, whatever it is that you need to do today in our hearts, 
May we leave this place having met you, knowing that when we do that, there is a difference. There's a difference. Would you be glorified, Lord, in this service? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we want to welcome you and say thank you for worshiping with us today. My name is Jerome. I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant. As you're seated, go ahead and shake someone's hand. Give them a high five or shake from a distance, whatever you prefer. It's great to be in church. Hey, my Bible. Good morning. It's great to worship with you this morning. I want to just take a moment here before we move to the message and just say thank you to everyone who is signed up to serve. Uh, Vacation Bible School starts tomorrow, and we're excited about, uh, yeah, we're excited about reaching our community and, and serving our neighbors. So uh, look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow. I, I have an excuse to wear a T-shirt. Like, uh, that's great. I'm wearing a T-shirt to the office all week long because I'm a VBS volunteer. If you are not signed up, you too can, uh, can sign up. I, I don't believe it's too late. If it's too late, then forgive me. But if you're interested, if you somehow missed the announcement, uh, talk to Pastor Angela after service, and I'm sure she would uh, try to get you caught up and, and uh, get you on the team. Really excited. Thank you, church, for stepping up. I know over the last few weeks we've talked about it, and you guys have stepped up in an, an incredible way to, to make sure this is an incredible week for our, stu- our kids and the kids uh, in our community. I also want to thank you. If you've given blood today, or if you plan on doing that during the service, that's not the preference, but it's cool. If you signed up for that time slot, I understand how that works. Like, sermon starts at, I'm going to give blood. Whatever you did, if you gave blood today, just a great opportunity for us to, to serve our community once again. With, uh, you know, there's been a, a shortage, apparently, in, in Indiana, kind of an emergency level of blood. So we've, 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 done our, we've done a little bit to help correct that. And so thank you, church, for that. Today is Father's Day, and as you leave today, we have a gift for you, whether or not you're a father. If you're a dude in the house, if you have a father, want to be a father, you know, whatever. Whatever father thing, all the guys, there is a gift as you leave for Father's Day. Uh, We have uh, a glass bottle of root beer, because there's nothing better than that on a hot, sunny Sunday afternoon. So, you know, really, if you gave blood, you get two bottles of root beer, because you probably have to replenish, right? All right. Would you pray with me, and we're going to get to the message. Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to to gather together, to meet with you and to hear from you. And Lord, I pray in the next few moments that you would indeed speak to us, that our hearts and our ears and our minds, they would be open, and that we would apply what it is that we hear. Challenge us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am not speaking, so for those of you who... Anyways, I'm not speaking today. We have a guest speaker for Father's Day. I thought it'd be fun to have a guest speaker who uh, would really appeal to, I believe, fathers. Uh, Tony Wolf. Does anyone know who Tony Wolf is? 
you're about to. Tony Wolf is a nationally recognized Christian speaker, comedian, and musician. He travels the circuit. You guys have heard of Mercy Me or, uh, let me see, I have a whole list of people he's been on tour with. He's actually uh, going on tour soon with Crowder, David Crowder. And so I figured we got to snag him when we can. Uh, but look, the list goes on. And I have to try to make this list look for people who are on both sides of the spectrum. Like Andy Minio, impressive. Some of you are like, who's Andy Minio? But how about this? Rich Mullins. Like, yeah, I know who that guy is. So, like, the list is expansive. It's huge. Uh, Natalie Grant, uh, Skillet. Yeah. Uh, he's also done a number of uh, Christ- uh, comedian things with a number of people you've heard of, like Chandra Pierce, things like that. Um, Tony's passion is to help children living in poverty, and he's helped raise over $178 million to benefit children and communities in need. Yeah. Tony and I are new friends. We, we uh, are striking up a friendship. But the best part about this is this guy who's traveled the country, spoken, raised some money, he lives down the street. So I thought, what a great opportunity to snag somebody while he's available to come speak to us here at Radiant on Father's Day. Would you welcome Tony Wolf to the... Well, it... Uh takes a brave church to turn their pulpit over to a comedian on Sunday morning, so I uh, commend you for that. Jerome, I hope you enjoyed serving here. Uh, hope the leadership meetings don't go too long this afternoon. Uh, I'm really happy to be here this morning. Actually, in light of the past year, I'm happy to really be anywhere um, this morning. 2020 was, uh, was quite a, a year. I, I was actually, of all places, standing in the streets of Tombstone, Arizona last March. I was on tour with a group called Sidewalk Prophets. And we were doing shows in Southern California and across Arizona, and uh, we had the afternoon off. So I thought, you know, it's an hour and a half. I'm going to drive down to Tombstone and look at some of the stuff about Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp and all that kind of stuff. So I was standing in front of the OK Corral when I got a message on my phone from the tour, from the guys from Sidewalk. And they said, hey, man, um, there's this virus. We're not sure what's going on, but uh, Mercy Me just canceled their tour. Uh, Major League Baseball canceled their games. Um, we're going to do the show tonight in Phoenix, and then we're going to go home. But don't worry, uh, we'll start doing shows again in April. It was a little over a year ago now, and since that time, uh, with few exceptions, there have been no tours. There have been no Christian uh, concerts. They've been very few. And uh, a lot of the guys that I work with and do ministry with have been out of work. Um, And so that day, I went back up. We did the show in in Phoenix, and um, I called my wife, and I said, don't worry, I'll I'll find a flight out in the morning. And uh, I started calling uh, and trying to find flights, and it was chaos. There, there were no flights available. I was like, how am I going to get home? So I was able to secure a rental car, and I called my wife, and I said, I'm going to drive home from Phoenix to Westfield. She said, that's great, because I need you to stop in every major city along the way at, at, a, at a Target or a grocery store and try to find some toilet paper. So in less than 24 hours, I went from this really great Christian music tour to Angel Soft Tour. And if we ever have another situation like this, uh, don't worry with going to Albuquerque or Lubbock or Dallas, but uh, Oklahoma City was really well stocked in case you you need. Got home, and as you know, uh, for the past year, uh, things have been pretty different. Uh, Especially last year this time, we knew a lot of people who who were out of work like we were. Uh, People right here in this area that lost businesses, some of them handed down several generations uh, that that just didn't make it. 
Um, all of us in this room probably know someone who was ill, or maybe, maybe you had the virus yourself. Um, people unable to, to attend weddings or, or, or funerals or even to visit loved ones who, who were sick. Last summer, I started getting calls from pastors different churches saying our pastor has been running from just the time this started, he's just been going nonstop. Could you come in and speak and, and just give him a break for a week? And as I began to travel, I thought it was very important. I felt convicted as I traveled the country uh, to bring a message that, that, that was not only encouraging but a reminder that even in the face of a year like this past year, church, we are so blessed. We are so fortunate. We really are. And I know it's not popular to say this nowadays. I don't really care. Um, we're fortunate we live here. We're fortunate we're Americans. This country isn't perfect. No place is. But I can tell you, before the pandemic, I became a virtual globetrotter without a basketball, traveling to Africa numerous times, South America, Central American countries like El Salvador, uh, the Dominican and Haiti. And I can tell you, every time I get off a plane on foreign soil, I have two things in mind. Number one, I'm grateful to be here to serve these folks. But in the back of my mind, I'm also grateful that in a couple weeks, I'm going home to a place where somebody loved me enough to tell me about Christ. And in that, we are incredibly, incredibly blessed. Now, this morning, I, I, I could tell you a lot of stories about, about tra traveling the world, but I, I wanted to, to pick one trip in particular. I went to Ethiopia back in 2017, and I believe God sent me on that trip for, for a big purpose. I think he knew that I was going to need a perspective change, which I gained in Ethiopia like no other place on this earth. And he knew that not only was I going to need it in a couple years, but the people could benefit from hearing this message, this reminder of how very grateful and how, how, how very blessed we, we really are. And, and when I say that we're blessed, church, I, I want to make this very clear this morning. I don't say that because we have these wonderful buildings or we have SUVs out in the parking lot or bank accounts or houses. Guys, that stuff doesn't make us blessed. Our, our resources don't make us blessed. Our resources make us responsible. Our blessing is Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, does for us today and into eternity. He is and always will be our blessing. So I got a call uh, back in 2017, and the guy said to me, hey, man, you want to go on a missions trip to Ethiopia? I said, yeah. Went home and Googled Ethiopia. I, I knew it was in Africa, but I, I couldn't remember exactly where. And if you're geographically challenged like me, it, it's just, uh, just north of Kenya. It's, it's just kind of to the east of Uganda. And um, all I knew about Ethiopia was one thing. I remembered from childhood Every Saturday morning, I would, I would turn on the radio. See, that's how we used to listen to music back in the day. We had this little box called a radio. We would turn it out, and songs, it, it, they would just come out of there. It was pretty cool. So we, every Saturday morning, I would turn on the radio, and there was a period when I was a teenager that I heard a song. How many of you guys, I'll date myself here a bit, how many of you remember back in the mid-1980s when Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson and Bruce Springsteen, Willie Nelson, they all got together and they wrote a song. Does anybody remember this? What was the name of the song? I, I saw this lady right back here say, we are the world first. Ma'am, you win this lovely drum set. Um, it's our music trivia winner here this morning. Uh, you can pick that up after services. We are the world. And I remember this vividly because every Saturday morning for almost a year, I would turn on the radio and I would hear the exact same thing. Coming in this week at number one, USA for Africa and we are the world. I'm Casey Kasem. 
almost a year that song was number one. And a lot of people don't know this, but all of those guys, Michael Jackson, all those, none of those guys took a single dime for that recording. Instead, as a group, they poured all of those finances into the famines that were taking place in Africa, largely in Ethiopia. A few months later, they had Live Aid, a big concert at Wembley in London. Queen and the Rolling Stones and all these groups played there, and they did the same thing. Now, from having been there several times, I can tell you economically, that effort worked. Yes, Ethiopia still has great poverty, but for the past 35 years, their economy has steadily done this from a place of complete despair to near respectability. It's been incredible. But in an effort like this, I don't know if you've thought about something like this before, but there were a lot of good people on the ground. The hands and feet of Jesus were at work in that effort. And as a result, the gospel was proclaimed in Ethiopia like never before, and I got to see the fruits of that labor as well. If you ever travel overseas to a place like Ethiopia, I guarantee you one of the first things you're going to worry about is this. What are we going to eat for the next couple weeks? I was kind of concerned. I'd been on tons of mission trips before, but I was like, this is Ethiopia. They used to not have food there. Like, I was really genuinely concerned. And understand, as I travel to a different church every Sunday morning, and I was very pleased to see that uh, you guys have the same thing, 99% um, of all churches in America have a, a thriving ministry within uh, the confines of their own churches. Uh, usually it's one lady, and, and typically she's an elderly lady with a white box. Today we had several ladies at work in this ministry. It's very encouraging to guys like me. But it doesn't matter what state or city I go to, there's always a, a little lady there with a little white box and every Sunday, regardless of location, she comes up to me and says the same thing. Would you like a donut, son? And every time I think to myself, look at me. Of course I'd like a donut. I'd like a whole box of donuts, if I'm being honest. I'm going to ask a chubby guy if he wants a donut, you know. Well, anyways, as we're traveling over there, I'm thinking about this. I'm going, you know, what, what is this going to be like? We land in Addis Ababa, and we drive through the capital, and they said, we're going to a ministry center, and they're going to tell us what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. Well, as we arrived, we pulled up, and the ministry center was here. Everybody gets out of the, uh, the van, and they're heading to the ministry center. Well, I noticed next door, there's another building, and on the front, there's a big sign that says, such and such, Pizzeria. I thought, oh, boy, I ran over there. Everybody's, you know, they're in the zone. They're, like, into ministry. I'm, like, running to look inside the pizza window. I look inside, and all I could see were these, it looked like New York-style pizza. It looked delicious. I thought, well, if nothing else, I know I can come back here a few times. But then we went into the ministry center, and that's when things just kind of got weird. The guy that was leading our, our group was a local pastor from Addis Ababa. And he said to us, today we are traveling to Project 512. We are going to meet children who have been sponsored by people all around the globe to receive an education, to gain a vocational skill, and to receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will go to the school and see them get their education. Then we will break for chapel, and we will worship with the children. After chapel, we will break for a little while to have lunch next door at a pizza place. So I thought, okay, wait. So there's a pizza place here. There's one where we're going. We drove 15 minutes to get to this ministry center. And along the way, I counted eight or nine more pizza places. So I got out at the ministry center, and I went to the pastor before we went inside, and I said, I don't want to offend you or anything, but I didn't really picture pizza in Ethiopia together. Like, what gives? And he wasn't trying to be funny, but he said to me, oh, yes, you must realize Ethiopia is the one African country 
that has never been ruled from the outside. Years ago, Mussolini comes to rule us, but we drive him back, and we defeat his army. Well, we keep his food. We like it. So for the next three weeks, every day, I had spaghetti, stromboli, calzone. I gained weight in Ethiopia. I didn't even think that was possible. Found out coffee was born in Ethiopia, and every single day I think I had the best coffee I've ever had in my life. Pretty incredible. But more than the food or the coffee or the unintended sense of humor of the Ethiopian people, I laughed a lot when I was there. I fell in love with the heart of the people. And man, did I get a perspective change that I was not expecting. That first day at the school, we met a young family. It was a young mother. She's about 24, 25. She had been abandoned with her three children, seven-year-old boy, three-year-old boy, and she had a, a baby girl in her arms. That, that day that we were there, that was the first day this young man that was seven years old, her, her oldest son, had been sponsored by somebody here in America to, to go to school and to receive a vocational skill, to hear about Christ. Well, it was his first day at school. As you can imagine, they were really excited. And as we visited with them, she said, after school, we would love for you to come home with us. He said, well, we'd love to come home with you guys. The people at the ministry center stepped in and they said, please understand, this is their first day here. Now, we're working diligently to find an acceptable place for this young mother and her children. I thought, where are we going? School ended and we followed her down through the city. Row after row after row of these little corrugated metal boxes, these little tin shanties. And when I say little, like a 12 by, by 15 space. You guys that served in the military, you probably know what I'm talking about. And it went on and on. It seemed like we walked several miles. We eventually came up on a landfill. And the pastor told us, I wanted you to come through here because we just recently identified about 12 or 13 families. They, they're making their home here in the landfill. If you've ever been to a foreign country, some of these landfills, there's several football fields big. This one was huge, garbage stack 20 feet high. Sure enough, we came up on the end of the landfill, and there were those families. They had set up cardboard petitions. They had dug out a cavern underneath of these garbage piles. Can you imagine that? I sat and held infants as who knows what was dripping on us underneath the 20 feet of garbage. I thought, this can't get worse. The young mom let us out of there. We went up the side of a hill, and we came to two buildings. Now, here in America, we have this phrase or this saying. You've probably said this or heard this. Man, that place is a real hole in the wall, right? There was a space, not an alley, but a space in between the two buildings. Both sat on a cinder block foundation. It looked like somebody had taken a sledgehammer to the bottom of the one building, and there was a big hole there. The young mother handed her baby off to one of our guys, got down on her hands and knees, and shined a light in there. She looked up at me, and she said, this is where we sleep. This is where me and my children, this is where we, we live and keep our things. I looked inside. It was just a couple of blankets and a bowl with a wooden spoon sitting in it. That was all that was in there. We got up, and we grabbed her hand and got her kids there, and our guys, we got in a circle, and I said to her, we know that the project is working on a better place for you and your children to live, but in the meantime, how can we pray for you right now? How can we pray for you today? I wasn't expecting her response. She lit up. Smile went from ear to ear. She said, oh, my goodness. You would pray for us? <sighs> Tell God, thank you, because we lack nothing. 
the church, Westfieldians. I dare say if we had to go out of these doors today and go down to Indianapolis and find a building with a hole in the bottom of it and lay down on the ground tonight, we wouldn't say we lack nothing. We'd say we have nothing. This young mother understood we may not have much materialistically, but we have each other and we have our God. That's perspective, folks. This morning, if you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to open to the book of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10. And this is a, this is a story that whether you've gone to church for 50 years or 50 minutes, you probably heard mention of the Good Samaritan or heard that referenced. This is where we find that story in the Bible. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus responded. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus responded. Do this, and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem into Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And He said, look after this man, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Church, we were called to serve. If you have ever said something like this, yes, Jesus, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior, you have accepted the role of servant. You've accepted that mission field. It's what we're called to. In John chapter 21, Jesus communicates this very idea to one of his best friends, Peter. Now, Peter and Jesus had been together for three and a half years. Back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus gets these 12 guys together. He gets them in a huddle, and I know fo- summer football starting. I know football here in Westfield and Carmel in the area is a, is a big deal. I picture this a little bit like a football scene. Jesus is out in the field in Matthew 10, and he says, fellas, my dream team, my 12, let's bring it in. We're going to huddle up. I want to tell you guys our game plan, our strategy, all right? So let's bring it in here. I need to Peter, get over here. We're trying to do something. Come on. Everybody get in here. Matthew, get in here. All right, we got everybody. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Where's Thomas? Oh, there you are. Good. All right, listen very carefully. This is our game plan, our strategy, our first play. Are you guys listening? Okay. I want you guys. To go. And you got a picture of the, the disciples with their hands in the huddle going, go where? Wait, time out, Jesus. I don't think you understand. See, 
I left my, my, my family behind, my wife, my kids. I quit my job. I left everything behind me to follow you on this grand mission. Now you're just telling us to go. I mean, that's it. Jesus says, yeah. See, I want you to go and, and serve those in need. I want you to lay hands on lepers. I want you to tell people of the grace God has shown you, fellas, every one of you has received freely. Freely you ought to give. So go. Serve someone. Do something. Go. And Jesus modeled that game plan all the way to the cross of Calvary for every single one of us. Here in John 21, he talks with Peter, who had been in that huddle with him. They built campfires, went fishing, did ministry together three and a half years. They walked on the water together. Peter saw Jesus die on that cross. He saw him put his body into that tomb and a, a small army of soldiers place a boulder in front of it. But a few days later, Peter come back to find out that that stone wasn't there anymore and neither was Jesus. Here in John 21, he sits face to face with the Jesus who had conquered death, who had beaten the grave. And they have this conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, Jesus kind of abruptly says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Well, of course I love you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but do you love me? Lord, you just asked me that question like 10 seconds ago. You know all things. You know I love you. I love you very much. But then the word of God tells us that Jesus asks Peter a third time. Peter, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Peter knew Jesus' style. He knew he was getting at something. He may have even been a little hurt by this line of reasoning. Like, why are you asking me this? Lord, you know all things. You have to know that I love you. You've asked me three times. Now, I've told you three times that I love you. I like to imagine Jesus looking at Peter and saying, Peter, if I ask you a hundred times, you'll say it a hundred times. Saying it and living it is two different things. Then the word of God tells us, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you really love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. You say you love me. You're here. You're praying with us. You're, you're singing the songs. You're in fellowship. I love that. I do. But, man, if you really love me, feed my sheep. Back in the 1970s, there was a school teacher who was about to retire. She had been teaching for nearly five decades. She was widowed. She was approaching retirement. And in the spring of that year, she sat in the front row of her church on a Sunday night there in London. And a young man came with a guitar to do a gospel concert. How many of you guys have ever been to a, a Christian rock concert or even a southern gospel concert? Have you guys been to a Christian concert before? Yeah. Well, you know at a lot of these concerts, you've probably seen this done. Somebody gets up at the end and they, they hold up a picture of a little kid. They say, this is a child packet. We're going to pass out child packets. Here, take a child packet. And they pass them all through the church or the stadium. Have you seen this done? I have to say I'm not a huge fan of that. Mostly because of the terminology. Child packet. This isn't a child packet. This is Kayla from Ecuador. She's a human being. She's a real person. She's as real as any kid in this church today. She was just born in Ecuador. Nonetheless, the young man stood up there that night with a picture of a child from Kenya. And he said, tonight, for 33 cents a day, you can send this child to school. You can make sure he goes to the doctor or the dentist anytime he needs it. 
This child is going to learn a vocational skill. You're going to be able to write letters to this child and tell them about Jesus And so in the midst of all of that, she sat there thinking, Lord, I'm about to retire, and I've been pouring into the life of children for almost 50 years. This is an answer to prayer. She raised her hand, and the young man with the guitar handed her to that little boy from Kenya, his child packet. She went home and started sponsoring this child. And after four months, wouldn't you know, she got a letter from the little boy. He wrote her a letter, and he said, thank you so much for sponsoring me. As you can see by my picture, I am not very good looking. But I sure am fast. We had a race at school this week, and out of my entire class, I came in first place. And there's five of us in my class. The teacher thought it was adorable. She wrote him back, and she said, that is great news. You keep on running. Do your very best for God. A couple years went by. He wrote her another letter. Today, we had a race of our entire school, and this time out of 60 children, I once again came in first place. She wrote him back and said, that is great news. You keep on running. Keep doing your very best for God. As they continued to write letters, she began to share scripture with the young man, a verse at first, a passage. Then she shared her testimony. At age 11, the young man wrote her back and said, this week I attended vacation Bible school in my village, and I accepted this Jesus you've told me so much about as my Lord and Savior. She said, that is the best news you could ever send me. You keep doing your best for God. At age 13, she got yet another letter. Today, you will not believe what happened. We had a regional race. People from all around our area, athletes, men and women, came from everywhere to have a marathon. And out of over 1,000 participants, once again, I came in first place at age 13. Now the teacher was becoming impressed. She said, I'm enclosing an extra $20 this month. I want you to have a pair of running shoes. Six months went by, and she received another letter from the young man, this time with a picture. That same handsome smile on his face, standing there in a pair of white Nike running shoes with a red stripe on the side. At age 17, the young man aged down to the program, and he wrote her one final letter. I am now not just the fastest in my class or in my school or in my region. I am now the fastest in all of Kenya, and I've been asked to represent my country in the 1988 Olympic Games in Seoul, South Korea. The teacher couldn't have been more proud. She wrote him back, and she said, I'm so proud of you. Keep on running. Keep doing your very best for God. That young man went to Seoul and won silver for Kenya. And on the way back, as a decorated Olympic hero, he noticed his itinerary had a 12-hour layover in London, England. He knew, I have to go meet this lady who has so profoundly impacted my life. He went there, and now years retired and confined to a wheelchair. The teacher answered a knock on the door to find that same handsome young man standing there in those same white Nike running shoes, but this time with a big silver medal around his neck. He came inside. They visited for a few hours, and as he was leaving, he said, without you, I would have never won this. He took it off and put it around her neck, and he said, this belongs to you. He said, but because of you, I belong to Jesus. Now, what is the moral to the story? Well, when you sponsor a child, you'll probably win an Olympic medal. 
not true. It'd be cool if it was. The moral of the story, church, is God can do immeasurably more than we can possibly ask or imagine if we are simply willing to serve him, if we're simply willing to share, if we're simply willing to make ourselves available and to serve. You guys know what James 1.27 says? Don't worry, no one else does either. James 1.27 is a verse we don't talk about in church, and for the life of me, I have no idea why not. James 1.27 verbatim from the NIV says this, religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and don't be polluted by the world. That's what the Word of God says. Acceptable religion to God is looking after those in need. I love that verse. I was born in August 1968. That's right, I'm 79 years old. And the moment, oh, somebody's got a calculator. The moment I was born, I was placed immediately into an orphanage out in western Maryland. My birth mother had been abandoned too. She had two kids she couldn't take care of already. Now here I come. Her family wouldn't help her, so I started my life in and out of foster homes. An unwanted, uncared for orphan. But while all that was going on, across town there was a 17-year-old girl, a teenager. She wrote her husband-to-be a letter. See, she just graduated high school. They just got engaged, and one week later he got drafted into the U.S. Army and went to serve in Vietnam. She wrote him a letter one day, and she said, I've been praying for you every day since you left, morning, night, middle of the day, praying wherever you're at, you're safe, praying this war will end and all of you guys will come home. And every day when I've been praying, God's been laying on my heart this, this calling, this desire to be a mom. I really believe that's why God put me on this earth. I'm supposed to be a mommy. And when I pray, I don't think God wants me to wait till you get back, we get married and have kids. I think God wants me to be a mom right now. That young soldier got that letter. He was excited. You know, he got it, read it. Say what? <laughs> Wish I could have seen his face. But then he prayed about it, and he wrote, her, he wrote her a letter back. He said, you know what? You go find a child who has nothing, who has no one. We will take him in, and we'll raise him together as our own. So she started looking during the process, and it was a process. He got back. They got married. A short time after that, they walked into the room where I was being kept, walked right up to my crib. They picked me. Thank you, both of you. It's actually not even really quite accurate. My mom told me just a few years ago, you know, we went in there to find a little girl. I said, Mom, you missed it by a long shot. She said, well, I heard your voice. You were in that crib laughing and carrying on. All I could think when I saw you was, I don't know anything about this kid. He's not my blood. I, 
I don't even know what his name is. And I know this little boy needs a mommy. So she picked me up out of that crib. Along with her 20-year-old husband, they took me home, and for the next 18 years, all right, for the next 40 years, anytime I needed anything, I always had it. Roof over my head, clothes on my back, shoes on my feet. Got to play baseball and go to school. I was taken to church even when I didn't want to go. I was that age, you know. That's the first time I ever heard anything about Jesus or God was when my mom would take me to church on Sunday. My dad. I tell you, there's not a single day that goes by in my life where I don't thank God for them and what they decided to do for me. So we were leaving Ethiopia. This is where I'll end. We're coming back. Last day, they said, hey, we're going to the airport. We fly out tonight at 6. We're going to make one more stop. I said, where are we going? They said, an orphanage. I was like, cool. So we get there, and sure enough, all the orphans are out. Oh, they're all outside. Come on up here on the hill. We go up there. Our group goes up, and there's about 50 or 60 orphans out in the field playing football, soccer. They call soccer football. They, they were playing soccer. And this one little boy comes running to me. There's a whole group of us. I don't know why he picked me out, but he started running towards me. He was charging me wide-eyed. I thought he was going to tackle me or something. He comes running up, and he comes right up to me, and he goes, Go Eagles! See, apparently he plays for the Eagles. So logically, I look back and said, Go Eagles! I don't even know who they were playing, but I was rooting for the Eagles. He runs out on the field. Anytime something good would happen, he would come over and give me five. There was a timeout. He came over and told me his name was John. I told him my name was Tony. Ran back down the field. He kept, he kept running over and pointing at me and laughing. He, he thought I was funny looking because, well, that's not even important. Anyways, at the end of the game, he came over and he said the strangest thing. He ran up to me and he said, Mr. Tony, after football, I want you to come meet my mama. I said, all right, all right John, after football, we'll, we'll go meet mama. He ran on the field. I thought, this is an orphanage. What's he talking about? But at the end of the game, sure enough, he came over with his coach, and his coach said, John doesn't live here yet. He and his mom live over here. We went about 50 yards down a dirt path and came up on a little, a little hut. You guys remember Gilligan's Island, right? That's what it reminded me of. It was just greenery and bamboo. I went inside. I got to meet Mama, and I wasn't there five minutes before I realized kind of what was happening. She told us their story. She said when John was a little boy, his daddy went off to work one morning, and there was an accident. And he didn't come back. I've done the best I can for my son, but doctors have now told me I'm stage four of cancer, and they don't give me a whole lot of time. She said, a year ago, this project, the Child Fund, they came to us with the orphanage. They said, there's a newly married couple of teenagers in America in Huntsville, Alabama. They want to take care of your son. They want to sponsor your son. I got goosebumps. I was like, that's my story, too. Sure enough, she said, they began sponsoring. They send a little over a dollar each day. And with that, she said, the project has told us, when the time comes, my son will always have a place to live. They send him to the best school in the area. He stays after on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They're teaching him to work on cars. When he becomes a man, he'll have a good job. They're teaching him to play football. She said, it brings home food and clean water every day. We've never had this. And then she said, but six months ago, his sponsor sent him a letter 
They told him about Jesus Christ. They shared the gospel with him. And later that night, my son was in the river being baptized. An hour later, he and some of the guys from church were right here in this hut. And that night I gave my life to Christ and I was in the river myself. She said, I can never repay this. And she got filled up and she said, now I know because of our great God and two of his servants in America, no matter when I leave this place, my boy will never be an orphan. Church, today, I'm going to pray for you guys. But before I do that, I I want to challenge you in a couple of ways. And I want to make this clear this morning. I, I don't want anything from you. I, I, I want something for you. About three months or four months ago, towards the beginning of the year, I got a message from the Child Fund. I've worked with them for years with Mercy Me and Newsboys and with Crowder. Great organization. You can go on charitynavigator.com and find out things I already know the oldest child sponsorship organization in America, nearly 90% of every dollar goes to the direct benefit of the child you pick out. It's unheard of in the nonprofit world. This morning, I've got a table back there. They called me and they said, Tony, we've got 1,000 kids that need sponsoring because of the pandemic. They've been waiting for over a year. Can you help? I said, well, I can't sponsor 1,000 kids, but I can go tell everybody I know. I can knock on every church door that I, that I can find that will say yes and let them know about the need. So here we are, it's summer, and we're already down to, we've got about 50 left. God has been good, and because the church is just like this one, 950 have already been sponsored. This morning, i got about 25 out there on the table, and I'd love for you to stop by there. It takes one minute of your time to do this, and it's simple. It's about a dollar a day. Um, this is the part of the sermon that I get to offend everybody, and nobody likes me, and they, I never get invited back. It's so cool. How many of you guys, and I'm not talking, look, if you were out of work like me last year, this ain't for you, and this is not about guilt or none of that garbage, all right? It's not. This is just an opportunity to to heed the gospel and to look after somebody in need for anybody that feels blessed. This morning, I'm asking you this question. How many of you, you've saved for, for decades, you've talked to your financial advisors, you've diversified your portfolio, and today you are blessed enough to be able to afford a small Coke at McDonald's? Anyone doing that well? Any one of you? Bank presidents, CEOs. Everybody put your hand up. You know you can get a Coke at McDonald's. You got here, didn't you? I was at a church a couple weeks ago. This lady, when I said that down front, she was like, I get my drinks from Starbucks. I said, well, you could help 10 of these kids. It is perspective. Now, why did I put 25 kids out there? Man, Tony, you know, we're, we're kind of a smaller church. We're just out here. And Well, I do it because of a couple of things. Number one, I believe he still moves stones. Number two, I believe ultimately in the goodness and generosity of his church. And I've seen miracles happen so many times I can't even begin to explain it. Two years ago, I went to a church in Mars, Pennsylvania. You know where Mars, Pennsylvania is? Me neither, and I was there. But apparently it's outside of Pittsburgh. I did a show on a Sunday night, a comedy show. Nine people were there, nine. I thought I'd be Mr. Spiritual. I put out three kids on the table. I was like, God, I have great faith tonight that you can perform a miracle in this place. These three children can get sponsored. The preacher said amen to close the services, and uh, two elderly ladies on the back row peeked over to the side of their chairs and said, I want a child. No sooner than they said that, the minister from the front said, save one for me. So in less than 10 seconds, the three kids had been sponsored. I looked up at God, and I said, now you're just showing off. What I didn't know was what was going to happen next. 
The whole night, there was a guy catacornered straight back here. There's a gentleman in a light blue shirt back there. This is exactly where the guy was sitting. Huge mountain of a man with his, with his arms folded. The whole night, he sat back there. He's laughing so loud, I couldn't concentrate. And you guys have seen me. I'm not even that funny. At the end, he came over and he said, did those three children get sponsored? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have any more? So I just finished a run with Jeremy Camp, and I got like 35 in this bag. He said, can I look at them? I said, yeah. Went up, got my guitar, and packed it up. I came back to the table. He handed me the stack of kids. I said, did you find one? He said, I'm just going to sponsor them all. I said, you're going to sponsor 35 kids? He said, I mean, is that cool? <laughs> I reached up. He's got 6'5". I was like, man, that's way cool. And I hugged him. He went out. The minister came over to me and said, did Aaron sponsor a child? I said, no, Aaron just sponsored 35 kids. He said, well, you knew who that was, right? I said, I don't know who that was. I said, don't you watch football? I started to think. We're right outside of Pittsburgh. I said, was that guy one of the Pittsburgh Steelers? He said, he was for 14 years. He just retired. That was Aaron Smith, their defensive end, and I don't want to break your heart, but if you'd have had 300 in the bag, he would have taken them all. It's just who he is. So this morning, if you play for the Colts, Or Pacers. Got a whole bag out there. We got 25 on that table. Today, guys, go out there. I challenge every family here. Go, go grab you one. It's a dollar a day to change a life, to tell a life about Christ. Great opportunity. Also, are there opportunities to serve in this church, Jerome? There's two opportunities, two left. I'm kidding. There's unlimited opportunities to serve within the ministries of this church. We sat and visited a couple weeks ago. There are there's some special things going on in this place, some things that only he could facilitate. Don't you want to be part of that? Come find one of these guys who's standing up here this morning, one of the elders. Say, man, I haven't been plugged in. I, I want to serve. I want to make a difference in this community. I want to make a difference in this state, in this world. Jesus calls you to that. That brings me to my last challenge. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please, don't go out those doors today without the hope that only he can give you. Look, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Make that decision today. You are surrounded by people who love you and care about you. And there's about 100 and something, 200 people here that would love to tell you what it's like to have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and how you can do that this very day. I'm going to pray for you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for letting me come in and share. This isn't a sermon or some sales pitch or something like that to me. This is the outpouring of my life. God started writing my story 50 years ago, and I used to wonder, why did it start this way? I landed in a great place. I never had any, but man, I had a great mom, had a great dad, celebrated Father's Day every year and loved it. I miss him. He's gone now. I miss him so much. But why did my life start this way? And you know what God did? He snatched me up, put me in a field in Ethiopia, said, see all these orphans? If you'd been born here, you would have been on one of these packets yourself. God is good. And I don't know about you, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Lord, the old hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one. If we did that and we were honest this morning, God, we'd be here to a week from next Thursday and we'd still forget all kinds of stuff. You are so good. Thank you for all things, especially for your son. Father, you loved us enough that you deemed us 
important enough that you were going to part with your only child, your only son. And as a father, I can't even imagine that. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience to the point of death. Even death on a cross, as the word says, that we may have life. Lord, help us to pay it forward. Help us to be grateful. Help us to want to reach out to those who are way less fortunate than us. Help us to be more like your son. And it's in his, pre- his name this morning that we do pray these things. Amen. Would you uh, show your appreciation for Tony today? I appreciate what he had to share, except there's one thing that uh, I sat there and made a face at when he says, I know some of you are thinking, we're just a small church, what we can, can we do? And I was like, oh, he doesn't know Radiant. We are world changing. You people are generous, like you wouldn't believe it. I think we're going to blow him away today. But, uh, um, you know, I failed to do one thing. Uh, I failed to greet our guests. So I was so excited about Tony being there with us. So great. thank you for being our guest. If you're a guest with us, we have a card called the Connection Card. And we have, we'll have ushers at the doors who are there to receive our tithe and offering. Uh, but if you would take that card as a guest, fill it out with whatever information you're comfortable sharing with us. Give us a chance to say thank you and reach out and just thank you for being our guest. For the rest of us, uh, thank you for your your faithfulness. I know something that Tony doesn't know, that you are a generous church. And you people um, give sacrificially and faithfully. And God continues to use this congregation as a lighthouse to this community and to the world. So thank you, church. Would you pray with me? We're going to, I'm going to pray that I'm going to, uh, we're going to sing a song together. And then can I ask one quick favor, just in preparation for Vacation Bible School. Uh, if you are sitting in the wings, or maybe you're not sitting in the wings, but you want to be part of this, we just need these wings stacked, no, you know, six, six high. It'll give us a chance to clear this space for kids tomorrow. We have over 100 kids coming to Vacation Bible School. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to, to gather together, to be challenged by your word, to be reminded for, for most of us in this room, none of this information uh, in terms of the biblical mandate to go, to serve, to, to take care of those who are in front of us. None of it's new for most of us. But yet we need reminders again and again because we forget so easily. May we be who you've called us to be, that we may do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this song together?
I don't, I never stand here at the end of service. I'm always staying there. I'm just here to remind you about the stacking the chairs. But you know what? As you go, go and be the church God's called you to be. Shine a light in this community and around the world. God bless you. You are dismissed. Help us with stacking the chairs, though. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn till I made. I was
2017, let's hear it. The loudest shout you've got in you. Give it to us. The king of my heart, be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, always my song. And let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, always my song. Yes, you are. The king of my heart 